0: Thanks, man, for the introduction. So, as you can see, back to Jerusalem, Chinese Christian Zionism? Question mark. Um, as you can see here, someone asked, "Oh, what are these particular t- words, uh, Chinese words?" And essentially, it does mean back to Jerusalem, and, and it is a movement which I'll talk more about and go deeper into as we go through this time together today. But before that, I just want to give you a little bit more about my background. You can tell now with that introduction to, I'm Chinese, so okay, that gives me maybe some credibility on this particular topic, <laughs> uh, but a little bit more about me, just uh, just give you a sense of who I am. Uh, so we'll start with that introduction, uh, just go through the agenda of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to define what exactly some of these things are, because some of you have mentioned to me, look at the title, what's happening, uh, but also the big idea about what I'm going to present on. Like, if there's like one thing that you got out today, what might that be? Uh, and then we're going to look through some historical uh, sources from back in the day, and even today, to help us see, yeah, how is that big idea supported? And then afterwards, at the end, perhaps, if time allows, let us have some time to talk about yeah, what may that look like here in Vancouver today, uh, in terms of all things related to what the title may, may be talking about. So a little bit about me, uh, name's Peter Chung. It's been introduced. i uh, born in, if you may, British Hong Kong. Uh, today, as you know, uh, Hong Kong sovereignty has been transferred to the People's Republic of China. Uh, but when I was born, gives you an idea when I was born, it was still a British colony. And then in 2004, uh, well, I immigrated and, and come back to, I guess, the sovereignty, if you may, uh, in the country that is Canada. And and by this time now, I think half my life has been spent in Hong Kong and just a little less is spent here in Vancouver. It gives you a sense of how I am without putting it on here. Uh, it has done me a world of good to come to Vancouver. Uh, after coming to Vancouver, through a high school friend of mine, I came to the Westside Baptist Church which is, um, like I said, uh, in Marple. Um, Some of you may remember uh, for a number of years, even at St. John's, there's something called the Operation Christmas Child, uh, which is this shoebox, uh, collecting all kinds of goodies, and then get sent off. But well, the first stop, uh, that's these boxes have been, uh, at least for a number of years in the past, is our Westside Baptist Church. So Sometimes I see some folks, oh, you guys are from St. John's as they come and bring in the boxes. Uh, Last year, though, we shifted our focus. Uh, There is a modular housing uh, that was built, and and now we actually target our gifting to that spot instead. So so that's a bit about us and our relation between John. Uh, In 2005, I became a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, uh, my parents at that time, if you may, uh, were non-religious. So I was the first to be baptized in 2006, and then... I have been serving there, uh, even during university, I went to UBC, I'll talk about that more in win one, and then in 2017, I become one of the interns. Uh, as about TISO, Um so what exactly happened, uh, this Baptist guy? <laughs> well, uh, in 2008, St. John was uh, um, having a TISO running and all that, and then at that time, the trainer saw there's an opportunity to work with campus ministry. Uh, in particular, in nowadays was uh, Campus for Christ. Some of you may heard of it. It's Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's called Power to Change. Name changes. Uh, but it is through that particular contact point that I was in touch with the TISO. and also over the years, since uh, even after graduating from university, I stay in contact. Some of you may be at uh, meet their apprentices nights. Uh, yeah, if it weren't TISO, I must say I probably won't be doing this right now in, in the school and whatnot. And what exactly I might be doing instead. Oh very important. Before I talk about what I do. This is my family, uh dad and mom and my sister in the middle, a younger sister. Uh so they are currently um I would say all Christians now. Uh my dad has yet to baptize, you can pray for him about that. But uh yeah this is our uh, my family. Uh but more loved ones. Um this is a picture from yesterday actually. Uh, is me and my girlfriend here. Uh, it's also my aunt and uncle. Um, as you may see, though, uh, this is BGH. Um, if you may remember mm-hmm. her in your prayers, um, she is approaching her end of life. Uh, so we visited her yesterday. Um, may return again today or maybe next week. Um, Lord willing, she will be here. So, so thank you for that. But that gives you a sense of my loved ones. My mother has not met her yet. We'll meet tonight for like Chinese New Year dinner, like type thing. So yeah, yeah. my aunt has met her twice already. Uh, I told her you should be on it. Yeah. Alright, back to a little bit of what I do. Just uh, get a sense of what that is. So yeah, I, I study business and uh, computer science uh, in the Bachelor of Commerce program at UBC. Uh, this is something that I did call the Christian Leadership Seminar by the Vedashem. Vedashem is the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Uh, it was a bit random, to be honest. I, I was in Missions Fest, I was talking to people, and then ended up I had that opportunity uh, to get a sense of what that world is about and have some context with, with some people. It, it has shaped a little bit of my views on how these things are seen on, on both sides, I think, and, and partly some of my interest on this topic has to do with uh, attending this seminar. I will talk Um, more about it um, maybe in the Q&A session. Um, Gradative CS, that's the Diploma Program Region. I started doing that part-time while I was working. Uh, And then right now, as I mentioned, I'm finishing my Master (coughs) of Divinity. Uh, A bit of work, though. Um, With my uh, bachelor's degree, what kind of makes sense was working in telecommunications. So if it weren't a TISO, I'll probably still be doing that, I must say. Uh but at the same time uh throughout the years, uh other than doing stuff in the church, there's a bit of theater that I, I get a big part of. Uh, uh one of Region's courses is actually uh, an arrangement <coughs> to to get some exposure to the Pacific Theater as well and then I myself have been with uh Theatre Christian Society and see a colleague here at Region College if you may. Uh yeah, there's uh the interface for between science and faith. Uh so with my I guess skills in the business and in area, just helping out a little bit with the website um, in terms of the promotion and strategy. So that's a bit about me. That's a lot. Uh, I should move on to the topic. So as you can see, the interest is, I mentioned the seminar, and the fact that I'm Chinese myself and and my passion for missions uh, through my days in campus ministry, it has really (coughs) contributed to why I wrote um, this seminar or, or Learner's Exchange back to Jerusalem. Is it Chinese-Christian Zionism? But definitions are important. What exactly do I mean? Christian Zionism. Uh, I know some of you might have some exposure to it, uh, maybe in ways similar than if I did, or, or maybe on the other ways. Uh, you have met some people, and they seem to be really passionate about this. Sometimes it could be, whoa, <laughs> what's happening? Um, so the definition here is, 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 an, is a level of activism and a belief among Christians, uh, in particular evangelicals, that the return of the Jews to the Holy Land, in this case, Palestine and Israel today, and the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948 were in accordance with Bible prophecy. And, and this leads to a few things. This leads to yeah activism in what kind of area. It may lead to lobbying with governments. Uh, it may lead to a lot of financial aid, uh, Given to say orphaned and children, which are uh, and, uh, or widows in, in the land of Israel, uh, this may even be a little bit combative to the point that oh, it will try to try to silence the other boys at times as well, um, because both sides, uh, whether it is uh, the Israeli and or Palestinian end, they may be very foreign against, and, and sometimes you just decide to see a bit more reconciliation. Uh, but Christian Zionism, in this case, then. Is Christians' involvement that's motivated, especially by the fact that they think, oh, you know what, like Jesus is gonna come back to Jerusalem, like, and there's maybe all these things that's going on in the city at that time. Let's make that kind of set up ready for Jesus. So it does involve some form of biblical uh, interpretation, uh, hermeneutics, and 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 reading for people to be informed in this idea. Um, but here today, we are not to exactly judge say, oh, this is all right, this is completely wrong, I, I, I don't want to bring that view, I want to bring a more balanced view. I think both people on, uh, on both sides actually would agree on some of the potential issue of Christian Zionism. What would those things be? This is an aspect of emotionalism. Uh, this is a topic that excites a lot of people. Uh, sometimes this may involve uh, a visit to the land of Israel today, uh, they, they see some of the things that goes on there. It's by the way. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's a distraction. They, they go to the place there and, and they see, wow, this is so amazing place. This is a land protected by, uh, this particular government and this is where Jesus walked. Where is he going to return? And then they get this very strong sense of emotion. Let's make something happen. Uh, but sometimes that would cloud the judgment of sound reading of the Bible, perhaps, or maybe some of the ethical decisions that they may have made. Um, maybe just because, oh, this is related to Jerusalem, maybe we can tweak a little bit about how uh, we live out the Bible's um, teaching. So so that's one aspect. And spiritual heroism as well. Of course, this is very epic story we have read. Of course, one could argue, too, like in the Bible, sometimes you thought those are heroes. But, wow, these people are really heroes? Um, we identify with those stories very well. And sometimes in this activism, that is Christian Zionism, um, it, it has that same effect on people as well. That spiritual heroism, oh, I'm doing something for God, amazing, I'm like an apostle. Well, you know what, you don't just get that in Christian Zionism, don't you? You, you get it in perhaps all kinds of causes as well. Uh, so one should be careful, and, and Christian Zionism does do this sometimes uh, to people. And lastly, fundraising controversies. I think because of the nature of Zionism, uh, Christian Zionism, it does draw quite a lot of funding um, among Christians. And, and and sometimes I think Christians may not be the most careful when, when it comes to evaluating uh, what the cost is about and, and how the money is distributed, or is it the most appropriate stewardship of their financial resources. And Christian Zionism because of the money they, they really draw, it, it does lead to some kind of controversies, especially when some of these uh, ended up being distributed to rabbinic Judaism's hands, and it actually end up being used against the cost of Christianity. Um, yeah, it can get a bit tricky. So I'm not saying all the donations are bad, but sometimes one should be more careful, and this is some of the issues around Christian socialism. and And both sides would recognize this. I think... Whether you are for, uh, Israeli state today, or you are a little bit more, like, conservative around that idea, whether, oh, okay, that's great that they have a state, but maybe it's not necessarily what the Bible says. Like, you can have both views, but most people in this circle, both circles, would agree, yeah, some of these things do appear as if in any other course, uh, but in, uh, in this course particular, needs to be careful. So, I spent some time in terms of defining what that looks like, uh, and give you an idea of why this is relevant, and how are we seeing some of these today? Oh, President Trump. Dead <laughs> yeah. guy. Um, so, President Trump, as you know, made a very, at that time, controversial move. Uh, and it and still get debated sometimes, of moving the embassy of the United States and ambassador from Tel Aviv, uh, which is kind of where everybody is at. Uh, back to Jerusalem, in the sense that recognizing this is the Israel state's capital, uh, this is very controversial because uh there is this agreement and ceasefire almost, in a sense, uh, between the Israeli sa- uh, state and, and the Palestinians. And they try to figure out maybe a two-state solution or some kind of reconciliation, if possible, or some kind of agreement. Uh, but when the United States make a move like this, they're like siding with Israel and uh, denouncing the rights of the Palestinian, perhaps, in the process. But Donald Trump is motivated by the evangelical vote, um, that is from usually the Republican side and, and the Bible Belt of America. So this is kind of one shape of Christian Zionism's influence on, on <coughs> politics. Uh, but I'm giving more political examples here. Guatemala, well, Paraguay, Honduras, uh, these are U.S. allies and they basically ended up following suit, doing the same thing, moving the embassy. Uh, This has been occurring for the last year. Uh, But this is not just a North American thing. Uh, Austrian Vice Chancellor uh, Heinz Christian, uh, he too uh, had voiced that we we should support the state of Israel in this sense. This is maybe not necessarily Christian Zionism, but it is certainly influenced by that aspect. Uh, And this is not just people in power. Uh, Dutch anti-Islam party uh, for freedom leader, um uh, there too, they have this support for Israel that they say, like, oh, maybe we should do such a move as well. Uh, and, and back to here in Canada too, uh, our own uh, candidate for the Conservative Party. Uh, at least last year he pledged that with the new year coming, with the election coming, maybe things will shift. But, but this was at one time his uh, his campaign promise. So it is it's quite an issue out there as well. Um, and so it's still relevant to us today. But what about in the East, right? We talk about like okay, North America and Europe. That's West. What about in the East? Uh, of course, today's focus is in particular about China. And so, what's going on in the People's Republic of China? Well, here's what the state is thinking today. The People's Republic of China would respond in opposition to this kind of move, like the embassy, the ambassador. It will continue its historical support for the independent Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital. I'll just put it as a pretty neutral stance in a way, uh, like not saying things that would trigger Israel, but at the same time definitely maintaining his allies, or, or not his allies, but like friendship with uh, the Middle Eastern Sea, and the Arabs. And so, uh, in the state media, it would broadcast this lengthy Article saying that we emphasize with emphasizes the Palestinian opposition in this recognition, uh, and then it would not really support this move, and then it would warn against the instability and uncertainty that they do uh, this thing in the Middle East. Um, even though the state does it this way, I want to suggest there's something that's going on within the nation's Christian circles: is that the House Church Network. Continue even to this day to pray for a vision that is called Back to Jerusalem every morning at 5 o'clock. Wow, what is happening here? Let's see if I can move to the next slide. Uh, I want to talk about this Back to Jerusalem thing, and that's what we're doing today. And this is my big idea. When you hear Back to Jerusalem, you may think, oh, there's a strong Christian Zionism, and it's not like Back to Jerusalem. But nevertheless, I think we should try to consider some of the historical evidence back in the day and today carefully. Because what the conclusion I have arrived at is actually this is a movement, I'm reading it. In fact, that is a faith movement, missionary movement, to be Christ's witness to the ends of the earth, not just Jerusalem. It's a it cause that involves participation. Yes, at that time they started Chinese, but I also think this also involved non-Chinese Christians worldwide, you and me, every Christian, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So some history then, let us uh, move forward of what's going on. So a little bit about the Chinese church, because uh, without understanding this background, I think we may challenge to recognize uh, what I'm talking about here. This is, we're thinking about the post-World War II, and then pre-communist and communist period. The Chinese church, because of the power that the PRC government has and it tries to cut many ties with foreign nations, it kicked out all the missionaries. Like, all the groups, for example, um, maybe some of you may have heard of Cousin Taylor and his uh, uh, inland missions, kicked out. So, who's left behind? Well, the Chinese church people on their own. I would say that actually has done the Chinese church a world of good. Not that foreign missionaries are bad. But rather, when they're gone, they actually get to be standing on their own. Ooh. So, thank the communists, I guess. No, thank God. Uh, <laughs> um, Christianity at first was tolerated by the communists. Like, they recognized, okay, that's this thing going on. And they seem to sell their own properties and, uh, um, run together. Like, that seems, checks out. I'm talking about X2 here. Well, but very soon they realize hmm, this stands against the state's power, the dictator's power, the, the leader's power. And so persecution started very soon and became rampant during Mao's cultural revolution, This you may have heard of. Uh, This reign of terror, yes, it went on, killed many, uh, not just Christians, but the church in China survived. And then as time develops, it becomes uh, three categories, and one of them is the house church. Um, and basically, the three categories are the state church. Um, this is state sanctioned. It's more okay. Not now. It's not more Mao. <laughs> now it's actually back to a little bit like Mao. Um, but for time, it was quite tolerated. there's a state sanctioned church. Yes, we have the police here, and then you've got to like sing the song and national anthem, and you have the leader's picture and all that. Um, they do that. Uh, but at least it was tolerated. Today, it's still tolerated. It's still official gotta pray China. Um, but there's also the international church. So for you maybe working or visiting China, you as a foreigner, if you have a passport, you can go into this church and there's very little restrictions. But this is a place where locals you know come to because they don't want locals to be influenced by foreign power. And then uh, la- lastly we have this house church, which is this underground church that does not register with the government, that is essentially in a way illegal, but they meet together recognising that Jesus is Lord and therefore um, the state that tries to stand against him, they, they, they need to make a stand and say, hey, I need to agree with this. So it is around this house church that the Back to Jerusalem movement was born. A little more information. At the very first, when this vision was created, is actually focused on cross-cultural non-Jewish missions. But what do I mean by that? Um, China, as you know, is located in the far east. And between China and Jerusalem, there were many nations. So how do you send people from that point back to Jerusalem? Do you fly them? You could, but that's not Mm -hmm. the those days. This is in the 1940s, 1950s we're talking about. And so back to Jerusalem movement is actually going west from the nation of China, taking the gospel with them and from the first place, which is Xinjiang, uh, one part of the regions in China, Muslim region, and marching westward, going through Central Asia, going through uh, places in the Middle East, and then arriving eventually in Jerusalem. So it is not necessarily just focusing on the Jewish. In fact, they didn't really talk about that at first, but it's to go through all the lands in between China and Jerusalem, and taking the gospel all the way through in which they call the ends of the earth. So that's what that's really about. Uh, and I will go through some sources with you. So there is this early vision that goes on in the Northwest Bible Institute. Uh, there's actually some ties between this particular Institute with Kassim Taylor, uh, one of the more, more famous missionaries that came to China about uh, the Lord bless the guy. Uh, so, this is a uh, Northwest Bible Institute vision that comes on. Uh, here it is. On the evening of November 25th, 1942, while in prayer, the Lord said to me, The door to the Xinjiang, uh, which is this place like I just mentioned, a uh, region in China with highest concentration of Muslims and some Tibetan Buddhist presence as well. The door to Xinjiang is already open. Enter and preach the gospel. When this voice reached me, I was trembling and fearful and most unwilling to obey. Because I did not recall a single time in the past when I prayed for Xinjiang myself. Moreover, it is a place which I have no desire to go. A tough place. Therefore, I merely pray about this matter, not even telling my wife. Such was the leader uh, at that time who, who, who began this, uh, this movement. Next slide, there you go. There is no mention in Jerusalem in the beginning, but it was with time passed by. As he fasted, as he prayed, in the same name that uh, the band of the Lord revealed the verse of the scripture of my heart, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world, a witness to all nations, and in the end shall come. And the Lord said, since the beginning of the Pentecost, uh, this is him (coughs) accounting for what he heard, The pathway of the gospel has spread for the greater part in a westward direction. From Jerusalem to Antioch to all Europe, from Europe to America, and then to the east, and from southeast of China to the northwest, which is where they were. And so today, from (coughs) Jiangsu and westward, it can be said there's no firmly established church. So this is like this part of China, and then this is the nations between China and Jerusalem we're talking about. And in fact, it was quite an unriched place of the world. Very, uh, very strong in Buddhism, very strong in Muslim and Hinduism. You may go westward from Jensu, which is where they were. Preaching the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem, it finally showed up uh, after some time. It caused the light of the gospel to complete the circle around the dark world. So, yeah, it's, at the first, it wasn't really about Jerusalem. It was about world missions all the way back to Jerusalem. What about the Jews, though? Like, let's see what they said here, yeah. because he did hear something about the Jews, Uh you know, because this guy came um, here. Well, I said the section of the territory, Xinjiang, is under the power of Islam, and the Muslims are the hardest people to reach the gospel. Okay, maybe fair point. Let's see what the Lord said. He does these things. Uh, the most real peoples are the Israelites. Oh, okay. Uh, the hardest deal of labor is my own people, the Jews. Okay, um, <laughs> That's how the Jews got mentioned in here. Zionism, um, <laughs> the Jews actually look that pretty badly here. Uh, the Lord continues speaking. Even you Chinese, yourself included, are hard enough, but you have been conquered by the gospel. I have kept the Chinese church a portion of inheritance. Otherwise, when I return you, uh, will you be so poor? So what, what exactly is this dynamic that's going on? Essentially, he's receiving it as if God is stirring us on to go on missions because in the past we have received the gospel from missionaries in the West. They think they too have a role to play uh, because God has kept up the inheritance for them to bear fruit in this ministry to go westward from China through Central Asia and all the way back to Jerusalem. So that's what that is. Is it Zionism? think um, so uh, <laughs> the Jews are pretty looked at, you know, looking in a pretty bad way. And and Jerusalem too is just a destination. It's actually every nation in between. So they formed the Bin Chuan Fu Ying Chuan everywhere preach gospel program. In fact, this is the first name of what we call the Back to Jerusalem movement now. Notice the word Jerusalem does not appear in this name like Benchman for everywhere preach gospel Then it's not even on there Uh in fact the very name Back to Jerusalem was coined by one of the Western missionaries at that time like this is by the way this is uh, I didn't put point here at first they were under the war like in the northwest so they were still like fighting Japan at the time Uh so foreign missionaries are not kicked out yet so one of the foreign missionaries in the institute was like oh this is great and like I, I need to like share about this talk about this and then she tried to like figure out a name for it, English name if you may, and guess what she came up with? Back to Jerusalem. So the name is actually a Western invention, but it became popularized uh, today. But of course, it was still born out of the Chinese context at the end of the day. So that's important. So based on what I just evaluated, yeah, it's it's not exactly a Christian Zionism movement as we know it. However, I do want to say a few things um, because as it's kicked off. 1946, there's a constitution that listed what are the countries that they're going to reach and then they and then they get started really quickly, right away. Um, I must say, even though this is not necessarily Christian Zionism at that time, it still suffered from some of the issues that I mentioned earlier, whether it's emotionalism, the spiritual heroism, or the fundraising controversies. Because, you know what, most movements are played with some of those things in some shape or form. So, as they kick, uh, kicking off the Back to Jerusalem movement, yeah, they marched some young people in there very quickly, right away. Let's take a look, uh, what some of those uh, things that they talk about. They mentioned we're going to be an international, uh, sorry, interdenomination and, but not anti-denominational group of workers of the gospel in provinces of Chinese borders and countries beyond, uh, on the Asian borders. Uh, they look to the Lord, alone for all financial supplies. What does that mean? Uh, that means, uh, and, and actually, President Taylor's group, uh, now today, OMF also do this, is they will say, uh, we are not going to ask for donations. Or well, you know what, by saying that, alone is actually kind of mental, manipulative sometimes. Um, so that's part of where the controversy sometimes would come in. Um, but that's their policy. Oh, we're not going to ask for donations. That's what they say. Uh, and it will go, words like, the time for the work has arrived. Open faith warfare, like, we are in a spiritual warfare for sure, but some of this language, as you read maybe some of the sources, you recognize, yeah, there's a bit of like spiritual heroism going on, a lot of emotions, no worries. calling the church to prayer and spiritual warfare on behalf of back to Jerusalem evangelistic band and enlisting volunteers for the service is the great work, so even though he's not there to ask for donations, he did go around trying to do a lot of recruiting, uh, And he keep on mentioning that particular line. Uh, Yeah, we look to a lot for financial supplies. And in fact, a lot of funding has come in, which is a great thing, because people recognize the importance of this. But I think some of the practices in those times, yeah, it could be troublesome. Um, Let's go to the next slide here. A bit more evaluation. Um, As I mentioned, some of these things can still be controversial. In fact, you look at the first early years of uh, the Bakker-Guriel movement, The missionaries are not very well trained. Um, They are not patient enough to stay around to learn the language uh, at first. Uh, The equipment are not very good. Uh, You could say they want to save money, which is great, but they like ride camels, uh, which today we kind of consider as a touristy thing to do. Um, Definitely can't look at it that way though, like at that time things are definitely a bit different. But you can get some, as you read some of these stories uh, in the book, um, you could tell, oh, okay, yeah, they could definitely do a better job compared to what we know today in terms of how to approach missions. So that's a bit of a evaluation on back in the day, back to Jerusalem. What about today? Um, I just said today, does it have similar issues in these areas? I would say, in some sense, it's still at that. Uh, in fact, some of these may even be amplified. Uh, today, the back to Jerusalem movement uh, is still strong, uh, still going on, and it has become a big thing promoted by the house church. Some of the stories that I sort of mentioned, like oh, going around, trusting the Lord, and or riding camels, it actually becomes some of the the big stories that they tell. It's Like oh, it's, oh my God, I get a bit emotional here. Uh, it's some of the emotionalism. And, and the spiritual realism that continue to this day. Uh, and, and some of those stories, yeah, you, you could actually really argue they could have done a better job. Uh, but it becomes some of the stories used to encourage people at times, which could be problematic. Um, it's been expanded. The scope is now to the 1040 window, which is a term that was uh, in the last century. And it, it has really catch on. Uh, and Some of you beyond uh, the Jerusalem movement may even have heard of this. Uh, it is basically saying, yeah, like 40% of people is kind of living in like this area, uh, unreached uh, around the world. So like, wow, that's uh, this particular chunk, and then it covers uh, 1040. Uh, it has two of the latitude and longitude uh, that goes on, and it really captures the area between China all the way to um, uh, to Jerusalem. So it does capture a lot of that, but it's it's actually not super accurate either. There's also places like Japan, where Japan may be covered, but like, there's a bunch of places in the world, like Indonesia, just not covered, and there's the largest Muslim nation in the world. So, it's not the most accurate picture, but it does capture, and it sounds great, right? Like, 1040 window. So, back to Jerusalem is now expanding in a way to the back to the 1040 window as well. And and they call themselves not an organization these days, but they have a UK office, they have a US office. And, uh, so, yeah, the controversies so continue a little bit. Uh, that being said, um, you may heard of this figure. Uh, he's actually not necessarily a leader, he won't call himself that, but you may have read his book, Heavenly Man, by uh, Brother Yun or Li, Zhenyuan, uh, Li uh, he He is kind Of, like, a spokesperson. In fact, uh, as of last year, he actually came to Kiloma, North Vancouver. He went to Victoria, I think, and he went to Manitoba or something. Uh, he was actually doing like a speaking um, around the world. And this time around, this, uh, I guess, this day and age, if you may, they, they, they do ask for funds now uh, to for some form of support, um, which, in some sense, I think um, could be relevant uh, once you look at how this is actually spent. But uh, I would say, though, that some of the things we heard about the house church in China, uh, whether it's their passion uh, or, or, or the persecution they go through, it, it is not necessarily false. But um, yeah, one should just be exercised a bit more due diligence when, when we try to give to these causes. Um, because some house churches, uh, unlike St. John's here, you know, um, yeah, they, may, they may get teaching wrong. Sometimes they just kinda go their own way and, and it could be problematic. But the bigger ones, generally they, they, they have some system in, in terms of uh, keeping the doctrine sound, which which I really appreciate. This is a thing called the OMF report. Uh, the OMF report on back to Jerusalem um, it talks about a few things. Uh, it, it did mention the fact that sometimes numbers are inflated. So they would say like in certain areas like there's a lot of Christians converted. But as we look into it, they're like, hmm, some of these numbers sometimes are exaggerated, maybe rounded up or something, like to the to the next digit. Um, it, it's it's not very good, uh, but the growth is there. It's just maybe not as fast as sometimes you're hearing. Uh, but the ordinary report does mention a few things, which is quite encouraging. Despite some of these maybe ongoing issues, they may be just a turn around. Because why is that the case? Um a few reasons. First of all, there's this thing called the Silk Road Economic Belt in the 21st Century Maritime Silk Road Trade, Global Trade Strategy. Uh, in Chinese it's very easy. It's just <laughs> yilu. Yi there, there you go. <laughs> this is so mouthful, but it just goes forward. Um what is that? Well, China, since the Cultural Revolution and everything, it, it has boomed a lot in terms of its economy. That's quite, quite a proven fact. Uh, because of that, it leads to a few things. These two, People, young people, being way more trained in universities, colleges, and and trade, that's a good thing. It prepares the church, the Chinese church, for missions. Another thing is China is now actually making a lot of economic ties with these nations, especially those... In this 1040 window for this pathway back to Jerusalem. Of course, mind you though, know, some of this can be quite problematic. Like for example, Sri Lanka, they <laughs> build some infrastructure for them and then put them in great national debt. So I don't know if those people like Chinese people that much. Uh, so it's not perfect. But we're seeing a lot of things that China is doing around the world, and it gives a lot of opportunity. Oh, I'm going to work there as an engineer. Well, guess what? This guy's also a Christian he a missionary? Yeah, he's a missionary. Is he going back to Jerusalem? Yeah, he's on the way there. Uh, he's serving in one of those places. Uh, another thing related to this is that over all these years, I think the Chinese church have learned the importance of prayer, and, and especially after the persecution that comes through, in a way, yeah, the Cultural Revolution, but, but there's also another wave with Deng Xiaoping um, in the '89. Tiananmen Square aspect. And then there's also what they're going through now, with Xi Jinping being the secretary and, and, and the strong policy he has against religion, not Christianity particular. Earlier today, I mentioned praying every day at 5. Well, there's actually a song for that. Uh, and there's a Chinese church gathered at 5 a.m. Not everybody, okay, but as many Christians gather at 5 a.m. and pray For this vision, I think the Lord is moving and He is sending people to go back to Jerusalem to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's what it looks like today. Definitely still have some of those issues, but the Lord is working. He is on the move. Now, this is the last thing I just want to mention. This is not part of the scope. I want to mention there are a few things in terms of Chinese advantage in outreaching to the Jews. Uh, so, again, back to Judaism, is not about reaching Jews. But I do want to mention this because one should not confuse this with Zionism. This is not Christian Zionism or Chinese Christian Zionism. But it's really a unique advantage that the Chinese get when they outreach Jews. What are those things? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Uh, guess who was really um, uh, victim? Who, who was a victim in the Second World War? Well, there's the Holocaust, as I have learned. Um, and in the East, uh, the Pacific Theater, well, there was one nation who was taking a lot of punishment from the Japanese. Well, that's Korea. So kudos to those guys, pretty tough. The Chinese too. They, they, they were also a victim in the Nazi regime. Um, that's the identity that we share. Uh, because the Japanese isn't like the Chinese uh, oh, too. Yeah, well, they want to reverse that. So just as the Nazi wanted to kill the Jews. Well, Japanese pretty much want to kill the Chinese food. Maybe not in the same part, same ways, but both sides have that share experience. Uh Jewish people love Chinese food. In fact, Christmas Day, if it hits the Sabbath, this <laughs> is Chinese food. I don't know why, but it's just a thing. Well, because it's usually a bit more kosher. As long as you don't order pork dish, we don't put cheese in our dishes, not often anyway. So you don't have the problem of like, Meats and cheese, which is pizza or hamburgers. And they're like, great, we can eat this. This is kosher. Yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) Um, What else? Uh, This guy I met. Uh, This is in the uh, Holocaust Museum. Um, Yeah, Albert was a survivor, and we were talking. And it comes from his experience in China that, oh, Chinese people, no anti Semitism. (laughs) That's what he said. I'm like, oh. That's what he said, Chinese people, you know, anti-Semitism. Uh, his experience in China is like, oh, yeah, they, they love Jewish people. Why Why? Why may that be the case? Um, one may agree that uh, Jewish people around the world, usually they, on average anyways, they enjoy a bit more economic success when it comes to starting business or maybe because of their profession. Uh, when they don't have a land, they end up being like lawyers and whatnot, and, and some of these have to really um, make them quite economically successful. Chinese people see that. It's like, oh, good education, uh, good, uh, good money, and it's like, we should learn the ways or the secrets of the Jews. And, and, and they almost sometimes <laughs> worship them, which is a bad thing. But, but because of that, yeah, no anti-Semitism, uh, at least according to Albert himself. Of course, I'm sure that that exists too in some degree, but uh, that in terms of his experience, you didn't see any. And, um, and in fact, I, I think one of the things uh, that the Thai king, in the early 20th century, he said, yeah, Chinese people, it's like the Jews in the East. I guess that's a compliment. Uh, because they do find Chinese people in some parts of Southeast Asia, they, yeah, they work really hard. Um, and they end up a bit more, uh, uh well, and then may attract some more jealousy. And then, um, and, and so that becomes some of the sayings. Orioles. yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there you go yeah exactly the yeah, same thing so yeah yeah so so that's the idea of it um, another thing this is something that I really care about um, this guy his name is Dr Ho Hongshan. Chan he's Chinese Schindler um, in the World War II or before the World War II he gave a lot of visas to Shanghai you don't need a visa to use Shanghai but they gave you one so that you can get out of Nazi Germany. There's no war yet, so they didn't start killing people yet. I'm like, oh, you want to get out? Get out. Oh, you have a visa? You got a visa. Okay, you're good. Uh, but yeah, nobody wants to give visas to Chinese people. US doesn't, Canada not really. Uh, Dominican Republic wants to give visas, which is great. Uh, but nobody else wants to. Uh, China, or he just goes like, hmm, you know what, you don't need a Shanghai uh, visa to go to Shanghai. I'll give you a Shanghai visa anyway. And he made a lot of this. Um, I think it costed his job later on in life. Uh, that's my understanding. Uh, it's nothing like, uh, the Japanese Shin at all. I, I think he, 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 he has it even tougher. But being Chinese, I really identify what he does. Uh, even in Vancouver, you have Jews ended up being in Shanghai because Shanghai was really the safe haven for a lot of Jews around the world. And, and sometimes I mentioned this guy and like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Shanghai was a safe haven for Jews. boarding school in Shanghai, so it was a comfort mm-hmm. on Chinese people in Shanghai. Yeah, Shanghai. so there was that aspect, and Jewish people were welcome. And Chinese yeah. people loved the Jewish people at that time. It was still tough for all of them, but they, they, they spent some mm-hmm. good time together. I do want to say though, being in this location, guess what? The story of his went untold until he died. Mm-hmm. It was really sad. Uh, and that's another reason that I'm so attracted to it. But being in this neighborhood, the Vancouver Holocaust Education Center, which is down the street on Oakland 41st, they were the ones that digged up that story and made it Aww. available. It was like, oh, I have this whole resources to look into uh, just like going there. And, uh, and so if you're interested to check further out, uh, they have a little bit of like brochures and it was pretty good. They have a lot of it. So maybe you can ask them for one. Another thing that goes on. Um, this is a bit strange, but this is a messianic Jewish synagogue, if you may, here in town. But it's actually have, you know, some number of Jewish people, maybe thirty percent and seventy percent Gentiles, that meets. When I went there to check it out, I was very surprised to see this. What is that? That's actually a Chinese character. It's not Hebrew. So the church is actually quite packed with Chinese and Jewish people and Caucasians and other races too, but uh but I was so shocked that they actually put up Chinese word up there. So there's something that's going on here in Vancouver as well. So some of those similarities. Um, what is this? Oh, this is one of the plays that uh, my theater company puts up. Uh, why did I put it here? Because at the end of this play, it talks about like immigration. Actually, it's a particular song. Uh, because of time, I'm not not play it. But this is the very song I was talking about. It's the five o'clock morning in China, and this is some of the lyrics. As we finish off today. At 5 a.m. in China arises the sound of prayers, asking God to bring peace, blessing, unity, and victory. At 5 a.m. in China arises the sound of worship. The people are all offering true love to God with one mind and heart for China. At 5 a.m. in China arises the sound of prayer, suppressing a thousand mountains and rivers, Melting hardened hearts. And there will never again be bondage or war, but a reversal of fate, bringing again a bountiful harvest. And that's the song that was made popular and called a lot of Christians in China today to pray. What can we do? Well, to know, thanks for joining today. I hope you know a little bit more about the Chinese church, what they're up to and some of the advantages they may have. Hopefully that calls you to pray too, because I think they are now in another trial today with the political regime and like all that. And some of you may be called to go. Um, I know Regent College, we actually teaches in China, uh legally, uh, with good relations and, and train people, even house churches, uh, that they may be equipped up to, to, to not get the gospel wrong, and they're going to teach sound doctrine. Um, and there's many shape or forms you can be going through business and education. Uh, to send, I think that's quite important. There are missionaries that are ready to go uh, if God has called. But also, I invite you to collaborate. I think sometimes, yeah, we just don't know what's going on in other circles. But I think there is a lot of potential in working together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but that may involves having some fellowship, so that we may actually get to know one another and trust one another in the Lord, and and receive what He has uh, sent us to go, and also to celebrate together of what God is doing around the world, here and beyond. Back to Jerusalem, and that's it.